You're listening to an encore presentation of We the People. You can hear this show live every Friday night from 7 until 8 p.m. Your source for locally how you can get involved to make a difference. Tune in. Thanks for listening. Get out there and make a difference. rest of the world it is friday night the 21st of april 2023 this is rob burke your host and you are listening in on kzsm's weekly commentary show that uh, we have about how you can get involved locally and make a difference yes it's called politics folks but it is also your civic duty We're not going to lay the heavy stuff on you, but you are responsible for what goes on and for keeping an eye on things. And that's what we try to encourage here at KCSM on We the People. I am your host, Rob Rourke, and this is Political Commentary Show. The views expressed on the show are those of the hosts and the guests and not necessarily those of KCSM or SMTXCRA. And for the first half of our show tonight... Ms. Stephanie Reyes, city manager of the city of San Marcos, Marcos, excuse me, is uh, going to be our guest. We'll be talking with her. Second half of the show tonight is Catherine Shelton, and she is in charge of the um, search team mission for a student that went. There we go. Yeah, we're still having some issues with the microphone. There we go. Um... We were fighting this one earlier today, uh, and I am sorry that uh, Catherine Ch- Shelton is here with us uh, on the second half of the show, and she is going to be talking about a law student uh, that was uh, from Texas State, um, Jason Landry, and uh, she is in charge of the search team, and I'm going to be giving you some updates on that search as well. Be right back with you. Stay tuned, folks. Just as a correction there, that is Catherine Shellman, and I apologize. I just was I was off my phone. I had written over on some notes, and oh well, that's just the way it goes. Community Radio, KZSM, and uh, let's go ahead and bring that microphone up. And Miss Stephanie Reyes is here with us. Stephanie, how are you doing tonight? Doing well. How are you, Rob? Great, and I appreciate you coming in. And uh, well, I'm always having a good time when I'm here. You know, being the <laughs> voice for the people, uh, and you know, we do encourage about folks to really learn about city government. Okay, and so let's kind of put this into context for you here. Sam Marcos is a 
larger town in central Texas. You know, we, we still pale in comparison to uh, places like Austin. But we are, you know, for many years, we were the fastest growing here in the area. And right now we are um, at about 68,500 people. We have uh, a city budget of just a little bit shy of $300 million. And that was, um, and you have over 800 employees in the city. That's correct. That one way or the other report to you. Yes, sir. That's you know, correct. <laughs> this is a business. It is, you know, yes, it's a, a city. But people have to think of that, that, you know, you have revenue, that is tax revenue that went, uh, the budget this last year was about a 14.5% increase over 21-22. And so they, we do a fiscal budget, that fiscal budget, you are right in the middle of getting everything ready to go for that. And uh, if we have some time, I'll, I'll, I'll throw that one in there for folks. Okay. But you are going to be going through this budget process uh, here over the next few months and then what will happen is that will go to council, and council will say, yeah, we like this, we don't like this. You know, you have all your departments coming to you saying this is what we need. This is you have your folks saying this is what we're making on the revenue side of things. This is what we anticipate. And you have to chart this course for us on many, on many things. That, that's correct, Rob. And actually, we've already begun. Uh, we kicked off this year's budget process with the council doing their visioning session. And with that, what they did was talk about what are the priorities for San Marcos more from a high-level perspective. And so um, we kind of took a step back this year to kind of look at, okay, what's really important when it comes to the role of city government? Because the role continues to change and evolve as society, you know, and the issues that we face as communities evolve. So we had some time out to just kind of say, before we get started with the budget process, what are the things that we need to be mindful of as, as your staff? So talked with council to set those priorities, and they're going to be probably more like 12, 18 months, but the ones that they decided upon are even longer than that. They last even longer. And so we'll start to, you know, make some progress on things and we may need to tweak from year to year. So that was step one. Then we went to the budget policy statement and that was held in February. And that's where we give some preliminary information in terms of what's happening regionally, uh, statewide, federally, and, and just in terms of the economic landscape that we have to be aware of and we have to make council aware of. But then also the things what are the needs of, of the community? What are the needs of the staff in order to serve the community? So we went through and council set their budget policy statement. They adopted it in March. And then that gave me the direction to go and talk with my director's team and say, these are the priorities the council has set. When you put forth your operating budgets, make sure that, you know, we're pointing out how this aligns with that strategic vision and those priorities. So their, their departments are in the process of putting those departmental requests together, and then we'll go through and look at all of that and prioritize based on council's direction, bring back recommendations. And so it's a very fluid process. Um, I know people started getting their tax bills uh, this, this particular week. <laughs> yes. And so... Um, you know, that, that's why there's that fluidity, because people have the right to obviously protest their taxes if they feel that, you know, their values aren't fair and things like that. So we get a preliminary tax roll here this month. 
and then we don't get the certified tax rolls until July. So that really doesn't tell me until that July timeframe about what money we really can work with in terms of revenues for the, the process uh, of the budget and budget adoption and getting that ready for council. And so they'll finally consider that. We'll have their, their budget um, workshops in June and then in August where we get more of the information and then council will approve the budget based on the priorities and they may, may make changes, you know, and we would expect them to make changes, but we try to give them uh, the best recommendation for based on their priorities. And the, those valuations have gone up, I just read today, about 20% uh, in Hayes County. So there's a lot of folks that are, you know, concerned about that. Absolutely. Uh, and, but we're not going to get into that here right now because this is not, you know, this isn't what you do. And that's where I try to let people know that, you know, yes, you're aware of all that's going on, the all of the winds that are blowing out there right now. And but people have to realize that until that is finalized, you know, this is all part of that process. And so, you know, it's a yearly process, folks, and you need to be aware of these things so that when you want to start getting involved, this is what I talk about in December when everybody's thinking about Christmas time is no coming out right around the beginning of the year. You've got the budget process coming out. And what are the priorities that we need? And that is where you go and you put the pressure on council. Council then comes, gives you your direction. You then are responsible for making sure that uh, what comes before council fits into that. So uh, there we go. See, it's not that hard. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's very challenging just because we want to be all things to all people and obviously – um, you know, we don't have an infinite amount of money, and so we have to try to prioritize and make sure what helps position us best to serve the community of San Marcos. Right. What are the community's needs? Well, and for your position, it is uh, in general, people do this, you know, in all cities across the, the country at different levels. And, you know, you, you've got multiple degrees and, uh, you know, these are, you know, to, to get you ready to, to be in this position. You have been here. You were born in San Marcos. You are, uh, you know, you've been here. Uh, but in general, we have a, not a turnover, but it's just the, the tenure of a city manager in the United States. I went and looked this up. is about seven to eight years. Mm-hmm. So one of the questions that I wanted to ask you tonight was, you know, where do you see this in seven years? You know, not saying, oh, I'm going to be here or anything, but just that's the vision. What do you see, you know, from the time that you're starting now that you want to see with San Marcos? So I think, you know, given that, yes, the average tenure of city managers are not always as long as it used to be, right. you know, and um, and so the, I think the thing for for me is I don't know if I'll be here seven years or if I'll be here seventeen years. You right. know, um, I know that for for me, I was talking with a former city council person recently, and um, he really put things in perspective for me that I never really thought about in this particular way. And he said, Stephanie, he said you have loved San Marcos before you were paid to love San Marcos. <laughs> and that's what sets you apart. Yeah. And, you know, I, again, I really appreciated that perspective because he's right. I mean, this is my hometown, as you talked about. And so, you know, for me, I've got two young children. 
My husband and I were both born and raised in San Marcos, and so we raise our family here. So for me, it's always about trying to do best for the community, which then translates into them. So what I would say the biggest thing uh, for me is just really about communication, collaboration, coordination. I really want to make sure that the community knows they have a city staff that is here to listen. They deserve for us to listen. We serve the people. We serve the council. And so we're, we're their city government, you know? And so that's what I want to accomplish is making sure that, that citizens know we have an open door and an open ear to talk about what are the things that are, you know, plaguing them, the things that are concerning them, the things that they say we can't do without and we need to keep, you know, when it comes to San Marcos. And so those are the things that I really want to work on is just really building the, the trust you know, and, and working on that. And then there's also the, the projects that we want to get done, you know, and looking at those things that, that we really want to accomplish that keep San Marcos, San Marcos. What do you think are the projects that you see out there, you know, that if, if that there's a lot of things kind of started, but we're at this transition point. Yes, I think there's, there's a lot, you know, we, we've got to work on, um, you know, looking at what do we want to be? You know, because there's... Okay, now wait a minute. We With all of these sessions that we have had, with all this visioning, we don't know what we want to be yet? It depends on who you ask. Ah, okay. <laughs> and so we've got a lot of opinions of, of what we should or should not be. And so it's a matter of how do we make sure that we're being inclusive when we're talking about different projects and processes. You know, we're going through a comprehensive master plan right now that has had a, a, a considerable amount of community input. And so looking to make sure, what I've talked to um, my team about, what I've talked to the council about, is that you go through these public input processes like master plans, strategic plans, and things like that. And they've had all this community input, and then yeah. there's always the perception, and sometimes it's not always perception, <laughs> that those plans go and aren't necessarily utilized uh, in the way that they should be moving forward. Right. So one thing is really trying to work on braiding all of those things together and make sure that those things are the basis of the decision-making that we do going forward and bringing things to council with everything that we do. You know, what master plan does it tie back to? What strategic plan does it tie back to? We have, you know, so many different things. And so working on that. And then when you talk about projects, well, there are things that are identified through those planning processes. And so those should be the projects that we're really working on trying to steer in terms of being able to say, okay, we, we actually have a checklist of the things that we should be accomplishing in, in you know, in keeping with the policy of the council and with what the community has asked for. What, just in the next minute or two, I'll make you this, but I mean, what do you see are the big projects that are going on out there that are going to be affecting the city that we, that, you know, are going on that, that are the big ones that we've got to tackle? I, I think, you know, we've really got to figure out the housing. I mean, that's a, that's a huge deal just because we need to make sure that our community has housing for all. And so working on the strategic housing plan working on that, working on the master plan, the comprehensive master plan, the downtown, and trying to understand how do we make sure that we revitalize the downtown? How do we bring in economic development projects that are best for our community? Because when you talk about affordability within a community, it's because you need more people paying into the system so that we don't continue to tax the same 
individuals that we need to. We need the transportation, you know, and connectivity, you know, to, to be something. You've got Hopkins, that's one thoroughfare that goes all the way through the community. And if that's out, then where else are people going to go? So I think having some of the FM 110, you know, um, that the loop completed and having some of those connectivity and and you know th those projects that really help to bring us together also not creating food you know sprawl and food deserts and things like that so trying to make sure that we have a walkable community where people can get where they need to have public transit to be able to get around and not always feel like you've got to drive your car um, up to the front door of, of a particular place so those are all things that from a vision standpoint we want to see that we do better Okay. This is uh, Stephanie Reyes is my guest tonight, city manager of uh, San Marcos, Texas. And we're going to take a quick station ID break. You are listening to KZSM.org, True Community Radio, San Marcos, Texas. This is Revolving Door. It's Revolving Door. This is We the People. Yes, you can catch Revolving Door on Sundays. Uh, this is We the People tonight here on uh, KZSM.org every uh, Friday night from 7 to 8 o'clock. We're going to be right back with you here. And just as a reminder that this is political commentary show the views expressed on this show are those of the hosts the guests and not necessarily those of kzsm smtcra the governing board or anyone else for that matter so uh, we're going to be right back with you thanks for tuning in tonight what do you plan on doing this friday night yeah me either how about we spend it together fridays 8 to 10 here on kzsm.org i'll help you relax and let go of the week and and play you some music introduce you to some people uh new friends right here at kzsm.org san marcos texas raices roots hosted by kathy lara our past our present our future join the conversation hear the stories Every Sunday at 7 p.m. right here on kzsm.org, your true community radio station in San Marcos, Texas. Texas River Tonk airs live Fridays from noon to 2 p.m. on KZSM. They spin new music from up-and-coming artists as well as deep cuts from country greats. Within studio interviews and performances, Texas River Tonk is bringing you music straight from the source and letting you know where to see these artists live at upcoming shows. Don't miss Texas River Tonk, Fridays noon to 2 on KZSM. True. The Price Center and Garden is delighted to be hosting San Marcos' 5th annual All Women's Art Show, honoring International Women's Day. See Me Changing Perceptions features 88 beautiful, thought-provoking, and inspired works of art by 88 different area women through a wide range of subjects, media, and traditional and alternative creative techniques. The show provides voice to their unique and engaging perspectives. This year, in celebration of our fifth anniversary, the experience is being expanded to include several additional gatherings and sharing and growing opportunities throughout the duration of the show. All events are free and open to all. We encourage you to visit our website, price-center.org, to get more information and or to register for individual sessions. The Price Center is located at 222 West San Antonio Street in San Marcos, Texas. See you there. Yeah, I was just over this afternoon uh, checking in with uh, Clay and uh, the folks over there at the Price Center. If It was a beautiful day today. This is when you want to get out and be downtown, folks. Okay, so if I could plan your day for you tomorrow, you've got nothing else to do. Come down, start it off in the morning, 9 o'clock at the uh, Farmer's Market. 
go around, have some breakfast, cafe on the square, go over to the coffee. You know, there's just all of these great places downtown. Uh, Root Cellar's got some great breakfast. You know, you can even have lunch. But go by the Price Center. And they've got some great art there that is uh, just so neat. And also a great gift shop there. Uh, so uh, go on by. And they're downtown. They're another 501c3. And plus, they help us out so much of the time. We're always glad to have neighbors. And that's half the fun, Stephanie, isn't it? You know, of living here in San Marcos is learning about these, but then also telling people new to San Marcos. And wow, this is in all these neat places. I always love the ones about taking people on the walks around to Graffiti Alley or to, to, you know, hey, look at the art that's up around or, you know, all these neat things that are part of San Marcos. Absolutely. So let's get back to the questions here real quick. And, uh, you know, one of the issues that I hear from people a lot and whether it's perceived or however it is, there's been a perceived drift in public opinion during the tenure of the last city manager away from transparency and approachability of city staff. And what is being done to address some of these perceptions? So my team knows, um, they probably get tired of hearing me say it sometimes, but uh, the three C's are what are important to me. Uh, Communication, collaboration, and coordination. And we're always looking at the three-legged stool, community, council, and staff. So with everything that we're doing, I want that to be the expectation is that we always consider, is there someone I should be communicating with? Is there someone I should be collaborating with? Is there someone I should be coordinating with? Is it council, is it staff, is it, is it the community? So community uh, communication, transparency, and approachability of our staff are components that I view that are very critical and it's very much uh, important to the success of our community and our organization. So I think that's what's different about us is just in the sense that um, we're really trying to create that culture of approachability. We don't want our residents to fear coming and talking with government. Again, trying to peel back the curtain behind and realize these are your people that are here serving you and how can you learn more about your government how can you get more engaged more involved and so I think that's something that we really have to try to really make sure that we're earning the public's trust in a different way and that we're showing that we're not here to hide anything we really want to be as transparent as possible sometimes I know that we're we're bureaucratic and we have processes and there's laws that we have to follow. So there are things sometimes that don't let us get out there with some things that we would like to talk about. But we, we try to do the best we can in areas that, that we can. And yes, that is a big issue is what, you know, by law you can say and what you can't. You're, you're also just, you're going through a transition with new legal staff right now too, which is also, you know, everybody's having to get a new feel for the ground here. Yes. And we've lost a lot of people that had been here for many years that knew a lot of the citizens and that knew folks coming in. And, you know, it's just there's some big changes going on. Absolutely. And, and I think that's, that's the thing where I see it as an opportunity. And so introducing our staff, our new staff members, because I want people to see this is what your government looks like today. You know, And so give us an opportunity. You may have had bad run-ins with people mm-hmm. in the past, but you've got new people and they're really trying. We're all really trying to be, you know, be the kind of government that, again, is very transparent, approachable, and accountable to our community members. 
Okay, and let's. I'm going to shift a gear here because I want to make sure that I get a couple of these questions in for you real quickly. Uh, what is the direction the city is taking with the role of the university in our local economy, and what are they doing to diversify as we grow for the future? In other words, you know, we've put a lot of our eggs in the basket here with the university. And the the universities across the, the country, the community colleges, they're, they're facing some uphill battles here uh, as far as the enrollment, a lot of the changes, and that's going to affect things financially. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I couldn't agree more. The thing that I can, I'm very proud of is that the university and city administration, um, we meet every month and we talk about things that are you know that we're each facing or that we're facing together so timely and proactive communication are very important uh, and they're they're crucial to to that relationship um, we work you know with research and private industry investments uh, we want San Marcos to be a place where our residents can live work and play we want to attract jobs that allow our residents including Texas State graduates to establish their careers here raise their families and ultimately retire so sustainability as a community can mean encouraging resources such as independent local businesses food production transportation alternatives and so the university is a very important part of that they're an important partner and so we we want to make sure that we're always keeping that that communication open they're about to embark on their new campus master plan and they are going to have the city um, you know to have a seat at the table so that we can make sure again, that there is that collaboration and that coordination of our efforts and that we're not operating on islands separately because the, the integration of our campus community with our overall community is very, very important. Um, the city's also taking on small area plans and trying to make sure that we're considering our neighborhoods and our neighbors and not wanting to um, have those characters that are really, really important within each of those neighborhoods do that. And so with the university, it's been important, important to talk about, you know, where are their students living? What are the constraints that they're finding because of their enrollment continuing to rise, you know? And so when we just met with them, they talked about how their enrollment is really very strong and it's very applied to university. So those communication collaborative conversations are going to have to continue as we go forward as they continue to grow. You know, for the majority of the time, San Marcos has been paired with Southwest Texas, Texas State, as, you know, this is the town. That is what brings, not only does it bring the students, but it also brings professionals. It brings research. It brings a, a lot of things there as well. Uh, but it's this um, in tandem, the the, you know, we have to make sure that for everyone else that is here around the university that we are we have some equilibrium in a way absolutely and and that's important i mean that's extremely that that's always been you know kind of the town gown um pressures that we that we feel and that mm -hmm. we face and so i i know that it's gotten a lot better uh in time i still remember when you know i started with the city 22 years ago and you know i remember how things were in the neighborhoods and how there was a lot and i'm not saying that it's non-existent uh there still are some of those pressures that we have to work through in terms of having different lifestyles between students and families um <laughs> you know but but it's something that i feel like having that coordination things that go in during new student orientation that talk about how to be a good neighbor when you come to the community 
community, how to come and, and make sure that you're welcomed in the community, how you get involved in your community. And I've seen a lot more involvement, even at city council meetings, uh, for people that come and speak about different issues. So I do think that there's a lot more um, you know, there's still pressures, and it's not to say that it's paint a picture that is perfect, but I think that there's a lot more synergy than, than there has been maybe in years past. And, uh, you know, at this point, I have not heard any of the loud cars come rumbling down the, the street. Now, we didn't stop them today while you were in here, did we? No. No. But, no. Uh, you, <laughs> around this time and a little bit later, it gets really loud down here. So uh, as we're talking about that, knowing about the community, I, you know, those are the, the things that as the downtown has changed, you know, the, these are some of the things that I know from being down here behind the booth at many hours of the day that we just we have this perspective on on what's going on around town so that's why i encourage and i i in order to have people here i'm really enjoying the fact that you uh, were able to get us into your schedule thank you very much for coming in tonight and i hope that we can have you back on again to talk to the community and to get some of the feedback from the community but you know you're there Folks can contact you. Folks can contact your, yeah, I always tell everyone, go to the assistant city manager first, okay, and see if you can get this, you know, go to the department. If you feel you can't get it with the department, go to the assistant city manager. And they usually are going to want to take care of the problem so their boss doesn't have to, okay? But you are there for folks if they need to. Absolutely. I am. And thank you for having me. I really enjoyed coming and talking with you and, you know, getting an opportunity to share some perspective, my perspective, you know, with the, with your listeners. And I'm happy to come back anytime that you need me, but yes, I'm absolutely uh, accessible at city hall. Just give me a call. Stephanie Reyes uh, from City of San Marcos here in the studio with us. Thank you very much for coming in tonight. Now the sun's going down. Now I can turn on the lights here. I just, we, we have to, uh, it's not that we like to keep everybody in the dark, but man, it gets warm. KZSM.org, True Community Radio. This is uh, We the People, and we're going to be right back with you in just a few minutes here. And uh, coming up next, stay tuned, folks. Don't go anywhere. Uh, I've got Catherine Shelman is uh, going to be here and talking about Jason Landry. So, uh, and about the search. So the search continues and we need your help. So stay tuned. Anybody out there interested in chess? Join us at the San Marcos Local Chess Club. We get together every Wednesday from 6 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. at the San Marcos Public Library. All levels are welcomed. Everybody is welcomed. All ages are welcome. It's a really chilled environment just to enjoy and play some chess all together. What's in the daily news? I'll tell you what's in the daily news. Story about a guy who bought his wife a small ruby with what otherwise would have been his union dues. That's what's in the daily news. Read the latest news about KZSM.org, your true community radio station, every Sunday in the San Marcos Daily Record. Look for our call letters in the headline of our exclusive column. The San Marcos Daily Record has been serving our community with news, features, sports, and opinion for over 100 years. Pick up your copy at your nearest grocery or convenience store.
To subscribe to the print or electronic editions, go to www.sanmarcusrecord.com or call 512-392-2458. KZSM.org would like to thank the following businesses, organizations, and individuals for underwriting and supporting our 24-7 live streaming programming. Blue Sky Mortgage, Sid and Ellen Braverman, Down to Earth Barbecue Sauce, Fast Signs, Ghost Note Brewing, The Hill Country Freethinkers, The San Marcos Art League, Tejas Hemp, Marianne Reese at the Lifelong Learning Organization of San Marcos. And the Whitliff Collections at Texas State University. If you, your business, or your organization would like to promote and maintain true community radio in San Marcos and around the world, find the donate button on our webpage, kzsm.org, or email KZSM San Marcos at gmail.com to underwrite our programming. And again, thank you. And we are back here with you in the studio. Thank you to all of our supporters. Thank you for everyone tuned in and listening. And yes, contact us, KCSM San Marcos, if you would like to help support local community radio here in San Marcos, Texas. KZSM, this is uh, the 21st of uh, April, and uh, my phone just went dead. I mean, I was, oh, I got sidetracked during the break, so we're going to use that one as an excuse. Earlier, that little chuckle had nothing to do with uh, the interview that was going on. We have the guys were from uh, down here at Domino's. We're out here with their sign, and he was dancing out in front here and had to and, and caught me. Uh, but uh, oh, let's see here. So getting back to where we're at, I, I want to uh, switch back into more of a serious uh, note here. As uh, my guest here is Catherine Shellman, and she is in the in charge of the search mission for Jason Landry. And Catherine, give everyone kind of a perspective. This is we are now going on third year uh it's been two and a half years yes sir and so tell everyone about the the circumstances behind this i think they most people had heard about this in the news but it's been kind of fading out of the public perception you know of public uh, awareness yes. and here we are down the line and there still are no answers there's a lot of unanswered questions That's correct, and I appreciate you having me on, Rob. Uh, This is one of the ways in which we can keep Jason's name out there is by continuing to talk about him and letting people know that he still has not been found. Um, Little background, Jason was a Texas State student. He had applied for a sound recording technology degree. He was very much into music. He was gregarious, always smiling, fun-loving. He just was a really good vibe, a good person to be around. Well, in December of 2020, December 13th, 
Uh, he was done with his finals at Texas State and was headed home to be with his family in Missouri City, which is just outside the Houston area. Um, he left his apartment, which is right across the street from the university, got about 30 minutes away from the city of San Marcos to the town of Luling, and that's the last we know about Jason and, and where he was and what happened to him. His vehicle was found abandoned on a very much remote back road, gravel dirt road uh, in Luling. Uh, it's called Salt Flat Road. The vehicle uh, headlights were on, the keys were in the ignition, all of his private belongings were left behind, his wallet, um, his backpack that had his gaming equipment in it and whatnot, um, but no sign of Jason. There are a lot of oddities in this case. Um, for instance, the clothing that Jason was known to have been wearing when he left San Marcos were found in the road on Salt Flat Road, kind of spread out around the road. Everything he was wearing, including his flip-flops, or they call them sliders, um, you know, his underwear, shirt, shorts, everything. But no sign of Jason. Um, I do want to mention one thing, and that is that uh, I'm very disappointed in law enforcement in the Luling area, if I may say so, because the evening that Jason's car was found, it was found uh, at about 11.45, I believe, uh, by a volunteer firefighter. It was called in to law enforcement, and law enforcement came out and saw the clothing in the road, saw the abandoned vehicle with the headlights on, and uh, didn't find the occupant of the vehicle, and yet not a single person began a search that evening. Um, Jason's father, Kent, uh, and uh, his mother, Lisa, were notified that uh, Jason's vehicle had been found. And from Houston, I, took, I think it took maybe four hours or so uh, for Kent Landry to make it out to the location. And he arrived, and there was nobody there, nobody looking for his son. Um, I think one of the reasons law enforcement gave that they did not search that night is because every now and then they come across an abandoned vehicle, and it might belong to someone who was inebriated and, and didn't want to get another ticket or something or whatever. But they found his backpack with his wallet that indicated who the occupant was, that he was a Texas State student, that he didn't live in the Luling area, he was from Missouri City, the vehicle was registered to his parents in Missouri City, and I would think that if there is a point zero 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 one percent chance that the occupant of that vehicle is out there walking around naked somewhere in 30 degree temperature with the wind chill factor considered, that you would err on the side of life and call in a few people, call in the fire department, call in the sheriff's department, call in local PD, get people out there looking for this young man, and yet not a single soul did. Well, the other thing to, to kind of put into perspective for people is to think about this, is that you are going, if you are going down this route, okay, and you are leaving San Marcos, you've got to drive all the way down Highway 80, you're going all the way down through uh, to Luling, and when you get to Luling, there's, it's pretty easy to get down to I-10, yes. but this was off a different direction, this road, and it, to get, 
to get to that point and then to all of a sudden be on this odd road, uh, a lot of things don't add up in my mind about what was happening that night. So if he was inebriated and he was, you know, whatever it may have been, I would have expected him to disappear a heck of a lot earlier than down once you get down from San Marcos by about 30, 40 minutes. So uh, I don't know. It's just in, in my mind that's kind of an oddity, too. Yeah, there are a lot of things odd. Um, I will say that um, Jason was not inebriated. He, as he entered his vehicle and began his trip to Houston or Missouri City, um, he was FaceTiming with a good friend. And that's how we know that the clothing he was wearing is the clothing that was found Mm. in the road. And so uh, the person he was FaceTiming with did not indicate there were any uh, personality flaws or anything out of the ordinary with Jason. So he, he was not inebriated. But I will tell you, when he reached the corner that you're speaking of, it's at the corner of East Austin and Magnolia Boulevard. At that intersection, had Jason turned right, he would have found his way to Interstate 10, which takes him directly to Houston. Um, this was only the second or third time that Jason had driven home from Texas State, and it was his first time having done it at night. Mm. So it is possible that he hit that intersection where at that time of night it's a blinking light. It's not, right. you know, doesn't turn green or red or whatever. Um, maybe he was, you know, uh, lost in his mind. Is this where I turn? Is this not? Uh, some people believe that he may have witnessed something happening on that corner and somebody followed him in pursuit. Um, there are so many different ways this could go. Um, but at this point, I have kind of stopped trying to figure out who done it or what might have happened or, you know, how right. did he end up out there? My, my focus at this point really has become where is Jason? How do we find him? Now, it's been, you know, over two years, as you mentioned. So there's been multiple searches, correct, that, you know, from different organizations. Walk us through that just a little bit. Sure. Um, Immediately after Jason went missing, uh, within the days and weeks that followed, Equisearch was called in. Um, Texar was called in. There's a gentleman who I believe teaches a class here at Texas State by the name of Gene Robinson. He is considered the grandfather of drones. He has uh, built drones specific to finding missing persons. But I will tell you, Rob, that all of those searches are completely different than what my group is doing now. They were looking for an intact person at that time. My group, the Jason Landry search team, is the only group out there searching and the only group that has been searching for the last over a year now looking for any sign of Jason. What our goal is is to help bring some kind of closure to Jason's parents. And I I just I can't imagine what they're going through. I I my daughter was a Texas State student and I lost my daughter in twenty ten. And I used to think that the worst thing that could happen to a parent would be to have your child's life taken. It's not. When I read about Jason's story and I thought about his parents, I thought, oh my God, the worst thing is not knowing. Not knowing, where is my child? What is happening? Um, And so our, our prayers, every time we go out on a search, we search on the weekends about once a month. 
We go to the site where Jason's car was found and we pray. We pray for Jason that he's out there somewhere and will return home. We pray that if he's not, that we will find something that will let the family know um, here's here's Jason and, and now you can begin to hopefully heal. Um, Jason's mother, Lisa, comes out before we launch our searches and stands with us and prays and prays for us and thanks us and whatnot. So there is a lot of prayer that goes into uh, this whole search effort before we even begin. Well, we're going to take a break here in about a minute or so, but let's take it back just a minute uh, that you are conducting these searches and I guess let's let's take a break when we come back from the break let's talk about where those searches are going you know are you laying it out in a grid is there particular places you're looking for but also how can people get involved because this is manpower this is you need help you need people that are familiar with your process and that are working with you and so that's one of the reasons that we want folks here tonight to talk about that and also about the resources that they are going to need in the county, in Caldwell County, and in those areas. So uh, for those of you listening in tonight, please, uh, I know a lot of you are in Caldwell County and have connections there. So uh, we would like to encourage you to uh, keep uh, listening in, and we're going to tell you about how you can get involved to make a difference. KZSM.org, this is We the People here on Friday night, the 21st of uh, April. 2023, and we're going to be right back with you. Hey, y'all, this is Diesel D, host of KZSM's Veterans Hour. I want to remind everybody that Soldier Songs and Voices is meeting every Monday at Cheatham Street Warehouse from 5 until 7 p.m. If you are a veteran or active service member of the Armed Forces and want to learn how to write songs and play guitar, stop by Cheatham Street Warehouse located at 119 Cheatham Street or visit us online at SoldierSongsAndVoices.com. The Lifelong Learning Organization of San Marcos fosters pleasurable personal growth by offering a broad range of stimulating and engaging courses for self-fulfillment. Subjects range from courses in art, art appreciation, history, science, writing, literature, geography, and many more. Each course will be presented by members of the community who are rich in their subject knowledge and are excited to share what they know. Whatever your age, you'll find courses to fit your interests and you'll interact virtually, well, at least for the time being, with instructors and fellow learners who share those interests. If you're interested in possibly becoming a presenter with lifelong learning, or you have ideas for topics to be offered, or you just want to find out more, please contact Marianne Reese at lifelonglearningsm at gmail.com, or you can call 512-216-6427. Wait, do I hear bagpipes? No, I can't, I can't be hearing bagpipes. Not on KZSM.org. Oh, wait a minute. That's right. Limey's Lass has a show on Saturdays. Celtic Corner. Comes on at noon. I guess I am hearing bagpipes. Oh, what a day. I can't wait to see what else she's going to play for me. And yes, we will have a new uh 
episode tomorrow for uh, Limey's Last. will be here on KZSM. And I have here in the studio with me uh, Catherine Shelman, and we are talking about the Jason Landry Search Foundation and uh, searching for this Texas State student that went missing about two and a half years ago. And we had a question from uh, someone here in the uh, studio asking about with head trauma, uh, that there is uh, a lot of times that uh, when people experience head trauma, that uh, they do take off their clothes and uh, they'll strip and, you know, some things that, that that may have been indicative of that. I don't know, is that something that you had heard before? Uh, yes, I've heard a, a lot of different theories, um, and that is one. I will say that it was so cold that evening, and he was wearing shorts and a T-shirt and, like, flip-flops. Um, when his vehicle was found, it was apparent that, I don't know if he missed a deer or if, if he was trying to avoid something, but um, the rear end of his vehicle had smashed into a tree, the rear driver's side quarter panel. And we don't know, did he sustain a head injury? Um, was it that he sat in his car waiting for help to come and with the back window crashed out, he got super cold? And, and we know when you start getting hypothermic, your body gets warm. Maybe that's why he disrobed. We, we really don't know. And that, you know, I, we search um, under the understanding and, and kind of guidance of the gal who is the head of the cold case unit at the Texas Attorney General's office. And the last time I met with her, she said something along the lines of, you know, everybody who has worked on this case has angst because there's no one way that this case could go. It, it could go a number of different ways. And that's why, you know, nothing has been solved. There's been no uh, new information with the exception of uh, the Attorney General's office was able to have a geofence warrant done. And that means that they were able to go out to that area. And I don't know the radius around the crash site that was covered or what time of day they, they did this warrant for, because you can set specific parameters. Um, but it, it's my understanding that there were no other phones active in that area for the parameters that they set for this geofence warrant. So, so that was and, the new and that was looking for from that phone that he had, right? Well, Is that it? His phone, yes, was left in his car, and they okay. were able to ping it along his journey from San Marcos to Luling, and that's how they know when the crash happened because the phone quit moving. Okay. But the geofence warrant, uh, is able to detect any other cell phones in that area in addition to Jason's uh, within a certain radius, and, and they can go back to December 13th during this oh, hour and this hour. Okay. Yeah. So looking at, at those uh, different parameters, that maybe there was somebody else that was involved with the crash that, you know, that they could look at that and see something that was different. Now, now that is from the state resources correct that yes. they were doing that that was not from caldwell county that's correct and so is there anything what is going on right now with caldwell county and then i want you to get into your searches uh and and how you're you're conducting these searches 
Well, as far as Caldwell County is concerned, um, law enforcement no longer has the case uh, in Caldwell County. It is with the Texas Attorney General's Office. But speaking of Caldwell County, and specifically the city of Luling, I will tell you that the residents there are absolutely wonderful. Before uh, the Jason Landry search team can go out and search for Jason, I need to get the approval from the property owners to allow us access. And the majority of the people have been very warm and very kind. And yes, we want him found and do whatever you need to do, come as often as you would like. Very few people have said no, and I understand and we respect that. People deserve their privacy, but the majority of people have allowed us to search. Uh, and you mentioned earlier about grids. That is exactly what we do. We have an app called CalTopo, where each of our searchers activates CalTopo on their cell phone. And as we walk, we walk in a line shoulder to shoulder. And as we walk, it tracks where we've been, how fast we've gone, where we need to go, where we might have missed an area. Uh, we've also marked a one-mile radius around the crash site. We are still working within that one-mile radius at this time, but we've also marked a two-mile radius uh, with the understanding that most people are found, or when they are found missing people, it is usually within one to two miles of the last known place uh, you know, that they were known to be. So uh, we also have folks who are, we call them boots on the ground, in the wintertime when there is not a lot of grass uh, and bushes blooming, because this time of year you can't see through to the ground. So if you were looking for a fragment or something, you would walk right over it. So in the winter we have boots on the ground where we walk shoulder to shoulder, as I mentioned. We are now able to search year-round because we have had a few people make donations. One fellow out of Houston actually donated fishing waders, bib waders, so that our folks can be out in the water for an extended period of time and not get cold. It has somewhat protection against those cottonmouth snakes, those water snakes that could come out and get you. We've got kayaks. We have a canoe. We also have enlisted the help of Teresa Medeiros, who runs Search Dog Network. She has some fabulous canines, human remains canines, who help us um, from a standpoint of their dogs actually going out in a different direction where we search. But also, if we find some kind of remains, we can set them aside for her canines to come and let us know if they're human remains or not. The dogs they're amazing. They can smell underwater. They can smell under cement slabs. They're just, they're amazing. And so that's another good resource that we're very lucky to have. So, you know, you see in the movies, you know, that here they have a piece of clothing that they give to the dog to, to go into scent. But, you know, it's been so long. Can Is there still certain things that you can give the dogs that they know that scent that they're looking for? Or Well, that's the difference between search and rescue dogs and human remains dogs. Uh -huh. Search and rescue dogs work off of the live scent, if you will, from a human, a recent perspiration. Uh, they usually use shoes because shoes carry a strong mm. scent of that human. After two years, these dogs are now trained on, uh, what does she call them? Even um, folks who have been cremated, I think they call them cremains. Right. Those dogs can smell cremains and can determine the difference between human and animal remains, which is amazing to me. Huh. Out in that area, uh, it's cattle country, it's oil fields, yes. and there are cows and deer, deer and other yes. animals, yes, that um, have passed along. And these dogs walk right by those bones. 
just don't even pay attention to them. We are very excited because um, there was something interesting that happened the last time that we searched. And we are going back to this area of interest. Um, in fact, we're going out this weekend. Tomorrow and Sunday, we will be searching. And I just, I would love to ask uh, if any of your listeners would love to be a part of this search. We're a very committed, um, gregarious group of people that are out there trying to uh, find this young man to to let his family have some kind of closure. And if anyone is interested, you don't have to have searched before. Um, we are all people from different walks of life. We have a mechanic, we have a nurse, we have a school teacher, we have all different kinds of people we've never searched before. But we learn as we go, and we've been doing this for long enough that we can train other people. The email that people can request for information on is findjasonlandry at gmail.com. That's findjasonlandry at gmail.com. Just shoot an email there, say I'm interested in helping. And I will definitely get in touch with you and let you know when we're searching next uh, and what we require in order to become one of our searchers. And uh, we welcome as many people as possible that are interested to, to go ahead and notify us, and we will get back to you. And also, if you don't remember that or you do want to get some more information, please just send us a message here at KZSM San Marcos, and we will get you in touch as well. So... This is one way that people can get involved and help and to meet their neighbors and to, you know, help out with the project. Uh, is there any physical restrictions for folks? I mean, obviously need to be able to walk and to, to go through brush and wear some gloves and those kind of things, I guess. Yes, sir. Uh, we also provide other things like uh, gaiters, which are heavy canvas uh, straps that go from your ankle to just below the knee because when we are searching boots on the ground, um, you know, there are snakes, rattlesnakes yeah. and that kind of thing. Um, but, you know, as far as physical handicaps, it, it is, I, I don't want to say grueling, but we search in triple degree weather. When, it, when we schedule a search, we do it. It, it, it's, it rained three inches out in Luling yesterday. It's going to be muddy. The creek is going to be flowing, and we'll be searching yeah. in the creek. But that doesn't stop us. We mm -hmm. will not stop until we find Jason, and no matter what the conditions are, unless it's going to be unsafe. Our searcher's safety is the primary concern. But if, if it's muddy and we're getting grit under our nails, so be it. Okay. Well, Catherine Shellman, thank you for coming into the studio this evening. I wish you the best of, I mean, it's not wishing you best luck, but I, I hope that you can bring closure, you know, to this family. And I think that's the important thing, as you say, is what happened? You know, you've got to be able to move on. And that's what's difficult here with the unknown. And you are taking this on your shoulders, all of you, the group. And thank you very much for taking the time to come in and talk to us tonight. I know you've got a very busy weekend ahead of you. And let's encourage our folks to uh, get in touch. Uh, find Jason Landry at gmail.com. Okay, And uh, that's how you can be part of this process and to help. And you know, send in a message when you're uh, talking to the folks. It's not as much at the, the city level here, but we're at the state level now. And sending a message to Judah Zaffarini, sending a message to uh, um, uh, your, your local senator, you know, for the area. I'm trying to remember uh, which one is, is down on the other side of Zaffarini here. Uh, but 
these are critical uh, because it is that state keeping that at the attorney general's office, keeping this going, and that's where we really need to push this. KZSM.org, we're going to be back with you next week. Uh, we're coming back to the smart terminal. We've got Annie and Anna and uh, Annie's husband going to be on back, and we are got to get out of here because Friday Night with Care is coming up next, folks. Stay tuned. Good night.